by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. All right, so we're in our series, Right the Rescue, and because we know that our God has a rescue and evacuation plan to get us off this crazy planet. And to get us off in the right direction, right? We don't want to go in the wrong direction. God has a plan. And we talked about from the very beginning what, that, what his thoughts were, what he knew would happen when he even created us. And we've been working our way through the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a journey. Going through the Old Testament is like driving across America. There's attractions on the left side of the road and attractions on the right side of the road. There's attractions on both sides of the road. And, and so I can't get to all of them. I can't preach the whole Bible in just a couple of weeks. So I'm endeavoring to hear from God and say, well, where do you want me to get off, Lord? What do you want me to expound on? And today, believe it or not, uh, as I was praying this week, he said, we're going to uh, expound on the law, the Old Testament law. And I was like, no, there's probably some more exciting things that we could talk about. But you think about it, there's so many Christians today who still feel like they're under the law. They're still, they, they won't eat bacon or something, you know. They're, they feel like the Old Testament laws still confine them. They still feel a sense that they have to obey the laws or, or you know, they won't get to heaven. And that's not, that's not the truth. We're going to discover today what God says about the law. And I guess we'll continue with another Hal story. I don't know. I got a house story for everything. Did y'all know that a an old station wagon without a muffler could pass an eighteen wheeler on an on ramp uh, on the express to get on the expressway? I didn't think it could, but we were driving. We was about fourteen years old, and and we were driving with this guy. He had all long mangy hair, and he's old hippie, and. He was so drunk, he was driving with his thumbs like that, trying to stay in the middle of the road. But he was all over the road. And he passed an 18-wheeler on the on-ramp, off in the grass. He got up on the expressway, started passing people. And we were like, and I saw Hal, he was over there, had his fingernails dug into the armrest, you know. He's looking at me like, you sure know how to pick them. And I'm looking at him, it's your fault, you know, it ain't my fault. And we was blaming one another. And finally, Hal spoke up and he said, uh, you can just let us out here. And, and the guy says, he looked, he said, I thought you two little dudes said that y'all lived in South Memphis. He, he, we said, no, this is fine right here. So he just pulled off on the side of the expressway and let us out. And he said, yeah, and drove off. <laughs> I wanted to get out and kiss the ground. You know, I was just so happy to be, but we had a long walk. We didn't even know where we was. And we, had, we did have to get back to South Memphis because, you know, we weren't supposed to be out anyway because we were already in trouble with our mamas and here it is about 11 o'clock at night we were supposed to be home at dark see we had went to a Keith Sykes concert some of y'all may remember a local artist named Keith Sykes and he was our favorite and we were budding musicians we were like 15 years old at the time and somebody said Keith Sykes is playing downtown you know and so 
we found a ride down there. To, and the uh, bad thing is, is we lost our ride, and we had to ride home with Yeehaw Man. But <laughs> we made it home about 1.30 in the morning, walking tired, and, and both our mamas were sitting on the stoop, <laughs> twiddling their thumbs and tapping their feet, you know, ready to spit nails and bite our tails. Boy, we come walking up, and they did. They let us have it, man. And uh, so Hal's mama took him home, and my mama brought me in the house. And I was like, Mama, it's Hal's fault. He's the one talked me into going to that concert. She said, what's that on your breath? I said, he's the one taught me how to steal beers out of coolers that weren't ours. He's the one made me drink it. And I just knew at the same time Hal was down there blaming everything on me, you know. Well, I went to bed like I did many times, grounded for life. <laughs> I always hated when I got grounded for life. Sometimes it could last for days. But thankfully, the next day, Hal's mama wanted a Coke so bad, she told him she'd unground him, because he got grounded for life too, of course, that she'd unground him if he'd walk to the store and get her a Coke. So he did. And he told me about it, and so I began to expound on the injustice of me being grounded for life when Hal's not anymore. And I had her going, and then I, I finally threw in the trump card. I said, Mama, I will hypothetically, uh, possibly clean my room if you unground me. She thought for it, and she said, Deal, because <laughs> my room had never been clean, you know. So, <laughs> so I went to tell my little brother Heath, you know, the good news, and Strong arm him into cleaning my room if need be, you know. And I said, only if, only if it comes to that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, in those days we were riding with Yeehaw, man, awful lot. Why do I tell this story? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so where were we last week? We talked about Joseph, right? Joseph uh, had been in the pit and he went to the Ended up in the palace, you know, he's second in charge of all Egypt, and his brothers came and bowed down to him because he had grain, and he had saved up the grain, and all that. You, you have to stay with us now. You have to come each week to hear these stories because so, they're building upon one another. And uh, anyway, so Joseph not only fed his family, but he sent them back and said, bring your dad with you. Just bring everybody with you. We're going to find a place for you to live here in Egypt. And see, Pharaoh loved Joseph, right? And so Pharaoh was happy about the whole deal. He said, put him in Goshen. That's a beautiful land, you know. And Goshen was kind of like a place in Egypt, but it wasn't of Egypt. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the Egyptians thought sheep herders were nasty people, and they didn't want them around, so they made them live outside the cities or whatever. And Goshen was just a beautiful place outside the, outside of the, the cities of Egypt, outside of the workings of Egypt. You know, if you went to Goshen, you didn't live by the Egyptian laws so much, so to speak. You didn't get involved in the Egyptian way of life. And so they had this beautiful place, and they were fed. And, and you know what we've been seeing on this journey in the Bible? It's type shadows. You know what a type shadow is? It's when something in the Old Testament kind of points you to something in the, in the New Testament. Something is like an image of something that will be real, you know. And many people say that the life of Joseph was like a type shadow of Jesus. Why? Because 
he saved his people. He was faithful. He was faithful during all the trials, and he saved his people. And a wise man once preached one time, and it really changed the way I began to read the Old Testament. Every time you see the word Egypt in the Bible, he said, think of it as a, as a type shadow of the world's way of doing things. Egypt was always, is, is always presented as worldly. You know, the devil is the, the little G God of this world's system. He's not the God of the streams and the valleys, but just the, the way sinful people do life, you know. And so when, when you think about Egypt, he said, always remember that it's symbolism for the world. You don't want to go back to Egypt, so to speak, once you've been saved. Does that make sense? So you've got these beautiful type shadows happening. Joseph is like a savior, and he brings his people to save them, and he puts them in the world, but not of the world. In a beautiful place called Goshen. That makes sense? That's why we're talking about these things, because he's painting this picture, and we're putting pieces of the puzzle together so that we, in the end we will see exactly where we are and how we got here and what we need to know about how, what's coming and how to act and how to respond. So he puts his people in Goshen, and they begin to prosper. God's people prosper. They begin to have more children than the the Egyptians. And pretty soon there's more of them than the Egyptians. And there's a Pharaoh later on, you know, after the Pharaoh that was nice to him that didn't like them no more. He's like, they're a bunch of sheep herders and there's more of them than us. And oh, isn't being a sheep herder a type shadow in itself? Because we're keepers of God's sheep. Well, so this Pharaoh, he enslaved God's people, the Hebrews. He put them in bondage and made them build the pyramids and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they were slave laborers. And for 400 years, they were slave laborers. And they didn't hear from God. I don't know why they didn't hear from God. Maybe it was just God's time. And sometimes we don't like God's time, do we? It's like God's left me here too long. That's kind of what happened this morning. I just broke out and said, I've been in this funk for too long. I'm ready to break out. I'm ready for our church to break out. Sometimes you've got to get a crazy praise to break out of that, that slavery. And anyway, we know that, you know, like I said, there's many stops that we could take along this journey. We could talk about how Moses was born and put in the Nile and all that. And we could talk. But anyway, there was a man named Moses born. And at 40 years old, he wanted to rescue his people, but he did it in the fleshly way, and it didn't work. But at 80 years old, he sees the burning bush, and then he, he does things by the Spirit of God. And God sends Moses back to Egypt to deliver God's people. In Exodus 3, 7, it says, Then the Lord told him, being Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. And I want you to know God's aware of your suffering. Whatever you're going through, it may seem little to you and you think God doesn't care about this. He does. It may be really big to you and you think God's forgotten about me. He hasn't. He knows about your suffering. Well, anyway, here's another, you know, four messages I could preach that we're going to skim by. God used Moses to do 10 miraculous signs, right? 
all these things, the gnats, the frogs, the turning the Nile into blood, all these miraculous signs to get Pharaoh to let his people go. But Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. He would say yes, then he would say no, yes. Anyway, to make a long story short, uh, the, the last one was uh, the killing of the firstborn. And Pharaoh's own child died. And then Pharaoh said, y'all just go. Just, just go. Take what you want on the way out. And so they plundered the Egyptians, took all their gold and silver and earrings and everything, and they left their slavery. And Moses led, probably they estimate probably 2 million people, left Egypt, free people. Now they were following the Lord. And they went to the Red Sea, and what happened? Pharaoh hardened his heart again and came after him. And Moses stuck his staff in the Red Sea, and God parted the waters, and they walked through on dry ground. And then the Pharaoh's army tried to chase after him, and he covered them back with water and drowned all of Pharaoh's army. But we're not going to get stopped there today. I'm just touching by as we go. But we're going to talk about what happened when they got on the other side of the Red Sea. Because they made a big to-do. They had tambourines and they were shouting for God. I mean, they've been in slavery for 400 years. Now they've been set free. It's like they've been born again. And that's what it's like. You've been born again. But they spent 40 years in the wilderness. They didn't enter into the promised land when it was only an 11-day journey. But they circled for four. Why was that? Because they were the complainingest bunch you ever seen. They had a slave mentality. They had been in slavery for 400 years. So they were so much ingrained and the world was so much ingrained in them that when they got free, they stayed in the world. They still complained like they did when they were in the world. And God said, you can't enter into the promises of God with that kind of attitude. You're a slave in your mentality, even though you're free in your spirit. And Christians need to learn that. If you're free in your spirit, you need to live free in your mentality. You need to change this. Let your mind be renewed to the word of God, to the promises of God. Well, it wasn't after 40 years. It was after they'd only been there a couple of days, and they didn't complain several times and wanted to go back to Egypt a few times that God led them to Mount Moriah, I think it was, and Moses climbed the mountain. And he went to the top and he met with God face to face. And he stayed there and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and God sustained him. And God, by his own finger, wrote on two tablets the Ten Commandments. Say the law. Breaking the law, breaking the law. He wrote down two tablets, five of them. Angie told me to say that. I said, what, do you, what should I call this message? She said, breaking the law. <laughs> but I didn't. I called it laying down the law. <laughs> no, God, give me that. Okay, so <clears throat> he's got these two tablets. Five of them are about how to treat God and put him first, right? The other five are about how to treat one another and what not to do to one to kill one another, right? Basic laws. You know the Ten Commandments. Well, Moses is so excited to come down and tell the people how this new way we're going to live. And he gets to the foot of the mountain, and then people done gone plumb crazy. They have made a golden calf, and they've, they've forgotten about the miracles that their God did, created for themselves a new God, and they're down there having an orgy at the foot of the mountain. In 40 days this happened. 
You have to ask yourself how many people get so excited about getting saved and saying the sinner's prayer and they get the Spirit of God and they, they make it a few days, but then that old desire to serve the world comes back and they go. Moses was so upset. He took those two tablets and he threw them down to the ground. And I guess you could say Moses was the first one to break the law. <laughs> you joke stealer. The old preacher you. <clears throat> but God started with ten major laws. And from that, they began, he began to add laws as people found loopholes and tried to find alternative ways around the law. You know how people do. They just, you know, you give them a law, and the first thing they're trying to do is think of a way to break it, how to get around it so, you know, they can keep doing what they want to do. How many laws do you suppose are on the books in America today? <laughs> are more laws the answer? Do we need more legislation? One time they, they were so afraid that they were, you know, because they didn't pass a budget that they were going to shut down the government. I said, hallelujah. That'd be the best thing they ever did. Because they're up there passing more laws than nobody's going to obey. I bet they've got a hundred laws for every, for every man, woman, and child in America. Somewhere on a book. But does that keep us from riding with yeehaw, man? It doesn't, does it? We still find ways around it. We, we just ignore it. When nobody's looking, we break it. Not that the law is bad. It's just that we don't keep it. Amen. So let's talk about the law. We're going to go through some scriptures. I'm going to go pretty fast because it's a lot of scriptures. You just have to jot them down. Go back and study them for yourself. Why did God give us the law? Well, Romans 5.20 says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. That's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? The law was given so that we would recognize that I'm not doing very good. You know, before that, we talked about men did what was right in their own sight, that how they had their conscience, they overrode that. So God wrote it down and said, here's how you're supposed to act. And they still couldn't do it. Why? Sin nature. The sin nature can't, can't obey the law. It's sin. And sin by nature is breaking the law, breaking the law. So it shows us how sinful we are. Secondly, it tries to hold us back from killing one another. It tries to, you know, tamp down some of the madness. Matthew 7, 12 says, do to others whatever you would have them do to you. That's the, what, golden rule? This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So that's basically what the law is doing. Saying, hey, don't kill one another. That might hurt. Care about other people. Galatians 5.14 says the whole law can be summed up in this one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple, right? The law is, is the law bad? No, it's pointing us to how to do right. But it's also pointing out that we can't do right at the same time. So two major things. 
But what did people do when the law came? They said, oh, a way that I can set myself apart. <laughs> our flesh wanted to use it as a gauge of our own personal righteousness. Isn't that something? That's what the Pharisees were doing. Look at me. I keep the law better than you. They begin to say, this is how we'll get to heaven. Just the same mentality they had when they were building that tower in Babel. This is how we'll get to heaven. We're always looking for a way to get to heaven without Jesus. That, I, that we can get to heaven and say, look at me, I deserve to be here. I wrote this. The law was given us to show the opposite of that. It was, it was to show our unrighteousness, not our righteousness. A mirror to reflect the conditions of our heart to reveal our total inability to save ourselves from our sinful nature. Does that make sense? But no, we twisted the laws to say things like you can't heal on the Sabbath. What did Jesus say? Look, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's supposed to be a blessing to you. Same way with the law. The law was meant to help you. But we've turned it into a curse. We begin to add our own laws to it. I think there were like 680 or 640, something like that, laws that God had given. But we begin to add our human traditions to that. Hand-washing ceremonies, just ridiculous stuff. Just to say, really just say, look at me. I can do this and you can't because I made up. The, look, I made up a law. It's really ridiculous Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says to these Pharisees, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law? And you Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of law, justice, mercy, and faith. What are the important aspects of the law? Justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Galatians 3.19 says, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designated to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. You see, everything, even in the Old Testament, it doesn't mention Jesus' name. Because Jesus, uh, the devil would have been waiting for him to be born so he could get him. Remember he killed all the babe, first, firstborn babies in the Herod did? The devil didn't want Jesus to be born. But the child was promised. The whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. He is the promise that was to come. And the law was meant, it says, to be in effect until after something better arrives. Are you tracking along with me? I know this is a lot. It says it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Another type shadow I thought I'd mention is Moses was the one who came down with the tablets, right? God revealed the law to Moses. But when it came time after 40 years to enter the promised land, Moses didn't go across. Moses saw it from afar, but he died on this side of the Jordan. 
He was a type shadow of the law. Was Moses bad? No, Moses was a good man. But God didn't let the law take us across. It was his servant, Joshua, who is a type shadow of Jesus, who took us across into the promised land. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? What is that better thing that would arise for us? It's Jesus. Say Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, he said of the law, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I mean, nobody else had been able to accomplish the law and do what it said, right? But Jesus was the sinless lamb of God. The only one who could take away the sins of the world. The only one who could fulfill the law. So he came to accomplish their purpose. And it says in verse 18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until it has achieved its purpose. Is the law still in effect? It is to the lawbreaker. It still is to those who've, who rejected the promise, the coming promise, Jesus. What happens if you reject Christ? You'll go to the great white throne of judgment and you'll be judged according to the law of Moses. So the law is still in effect for those who choose the law. I don't know about you, but I choose grace. I choose to be forgiven because of what Jesus did, not try to earn my salvation by keeping the law. I don't want to go to the great white throne of judgment because that book is opened and everyone, that uh, all your sins are in there and your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life and they're all sentenced to hell. I want to go to the, judgment seat of Christ where I'll be judged for what I do in the body but I'll already be in heaven when this happens I'll already be through the gates you understand I'll be meeting with Jesus and for my rewards that's where I want to go there's two thrones there's for those who want to live by the law and isn't that what most of America wants to believe that if I'm a good enough person I can go to heaven hello you're not you know it, I know it, stop pretending. <laughs> Jesus told those who want to be under the law in Matthew 5, verse 20, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's ridiculous, Jesus. Do you see those Pharisees, that's all they think about, being righteous and perfect. And they do everything according to the law. No, they don't. No, they, they pretend to do that. You don't know what's going on in their brain. You don't know what's going on. They're prideful. They're arrogant. They make people 
go long distances to, to be able to be with them, and then they make them twice the son of hell that they are. They're whitewashed tombs. They're full of dead men's bones on the inside. They just appear to be righteous. And Jesus is saying, even if they were as righteous as you think they are, they're not perfect. And those Pharisees, and if you, even if you're better than those Pharisees, you're not getting to heaven through the law. Romans 3.19 says, obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. We're all in this together. We all have the sinful blood of Adam coursing through our veins. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Verse 20 says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. This law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Ooh, thank you. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. As was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago, like I said, everything's pointing to the promise. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way. The only way. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Thank goodness we don't have to keep the law because we know we hadn't. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. And all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see what the law keeps telling you? It keeps pointing you to that you're unrighteous. It keeps telling you, no, you can't be good enough. But we're so hard-headed that we won't believe. The law is good if used properly, but it's not a means to be made right with God. The law is good in itself. But the problem is, is we don't keep the law. Acts 13, 38 says, brothers, listen. We're here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is the forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Something the law of Moses could never do. So what is our part in all this? Galatians 3.11, so, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through what? Faith that a righteous person has life. Romans 3.27 says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is based on, not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. Not works, but faith, you understand. That's why you're made right with God, through faith. You say, but ain't we supposed to be good people? Are we supposed to do good works? Yes, but you didn't have the ability to do it until you had faith, and God sent his spirit into your heart to give you the ability to overcome sin and then be a good person. You say, but I know I go down to the jail and I preach and then I ask them how many know they're going to heaven when they die and a lot of them raise their hand. They're in the jail. Why aren't they doing good works? Because it is possible for you to still live in the flesh although you have the Spirit of God. It's rough down here on planet Earth. 
But there ain't no way you're getting to heaven without Jesus. You can be the best person on your whole block. Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Do you believe? That's the question. Are you willing to humble yourself and say, when, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be saying glory to Jesus. Glory to God. It's not me. Isn't that what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, that we're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. There'll be no boasting in heaven. We all get there through humbling ourselves and giving God the glory for his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 31 says, well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean that we can forget about the law? In other words, that we don't have to try to do good works? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Only when we have his spirit are we even capable of fulfilling the law. Faith without works is dead. But the works doesn't save you, the faith does. And the works are a sign that you have faith. Does that make sense? So what about this life-giving spirit? Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. See, we're under a new law. I've got the spirit of God on the inside of me now. You see, that old law, what it did was it told me what what I shouldn't do, and it just triggered my old sinful nature to want to do it. It was a law of sin and death. I wanted to do right, but I couldn't because they, oh, I ain't supposed to do that, but I want to do that. That was your sinful nature talking. But now the law of spirit of life. Don't you want to live? The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Where was I at? For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. See, our flesh is the problem. Didn't I tell you that? God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, though he had no sin, but he looked like us, right? On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We have the power to overcome sin. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, he sent his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know, it was the ones who was anchored to the law that gave Jesus all the trouble when he was here. They were the ones shouting about, you can't heal on the Sabbath. They were so dead set on the law. They were zealous towards the law. It wouldn't have been such a bad thing as if they weren't rotten on the inside and doing it for the wrong reasons. And it's the same way today. People say, well, yeah, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm going to heaven. But, you know, I sinned and I, now I've lost my salvation. And I've got to do better. 
Do you know the book of Galatians was written to the church in Galatia for that very reason? Because they started out in the spirit. They got saved and they trusted Jesus. And they received eternal life. You understand eternal means eternal. It means forever. They received eternal life. But then they turned around and said, but we got to be good too. We got to earn this. You're saved by grace. Grace is something given that you don't earn. The moment you start trying to earn it, it ceases to be grace. And you're either saved by grace or you're under the law and you can't have both. So yeah, you did that big sin this week. What do you do? What do I do? You receive God's grace and mercy. You do what 1 John 1 9 says, you confess your sins. For he is faithful and just to forgive you of sins and cleanse you of unrighte all unrighteousness. But even if you don't, positionally, your sins have already been paid for. You're still going to heaven. You say, well, why would I ever take the time to confess my sins? Why would I, you know, even worry about sin? Isn't, isn't grace a license to sin? God forbid. Paul said, if, I, if you've been set free from slavery to sin, why would you want to go back to it? And you ask for forgiveness for relationship's sake. Some people say, you don't have to ask for forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven forevermore. And that's true. But don't you want to have a relationship with the Father? Aren't you still hurting Him when you sin against Him? He saved you. Yeah, He's not going to take that back. But, but for relationship's sake, positionally, you're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. But for relationship's sake... You want to stay close to him. So if you do miss it, you confess it. So that you can put it behind you mostly because we'll walk around carrying it and beating ourselves up and get ourselves back under the law. When we're supposed to be free where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. You see what I'm saying? And if you got grace... You're not going to make that greasy grace. If you got the true grace of God, you're not going to say, well, I can sin now all I want to. You never got saved if that's the case. If you don't have the spirit in your heart crying, Abba, Father, if you don't have a want to, if you don't, to do right, if you don't have, uh, feel bad when you do sin, if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't engraved on the inside of you when you do sin, then you're not saved. then you need to get saved. Because if you can live in sin, then you're not saved. But if you're in grace, you can't live in sin. You feel too bad about it. The most miserable people on the planet Earth are those who are saved and walking in sin. They can't be happy like that. God won't allow it. Well, Maybe I need to save some of this for next week. You want it all? Romans 7, 4 says, Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Just like Christ was buried, you've been buried with Christ in baptism. 
You come dead to the law through the body of Christ that you might be married to another. You're not married to the law. You're married to Jesus Christ, to him who was raised from the dead, that you should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, I told you it just made you want to break them, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. That's not the kind of fruit I want. But now we have been delivered from the law. Having died to once what we were once held by so that we can serve in the newness of the spirit. Say of the spirit. And not in the oldness of the letter. The spirit of the law killeth, but the spirit brings life. And we choose to walk in the spirit. I often tell people, don't neglect reading the Old Testament. It's only after you see all the laws the dietary laws and all the things that they were under and how they had to kill bulls and sacrifice all these things to get forgiveness. It's only once you realize all those things that you really appreciate the grace in which we now stand. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus gave us a new law called the law of love you know what he's saying a new law i give you a new command you see jesus is love and then love is the perfect fulfillment of the law romans 13 8 says oh no one anything except to love one another for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law wait a minute i thought i couldn't do the law you couldn't before but now that the, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart, you can, you can keep the law of love. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. All those Ten Commandments were telling you not to hurt your neighbor. Well, if you have love, you're not going to hurt your neighbor. You're not going to steal from him. You're not going to kill him. You're not going to take his stuff. You're not going to want his stuff. And we can't. Do perfectly. Yes, we still have a sin nature. Yes, we have a choice down here, and we make mistakes, and, and we're, we're in transition to being perfect, so to speak, sanctification. But we have faith, and we are hidden in the perfect one. And we've already been forgiven. When he said it is finished, it was finished for sin for us. So why was the law to show us that we're not perfect? The law was so rigid I mean, you say, I don't even know. Sometimes I think it's two gods. It's like the one in the Old Testament and the one in the New. But God was saying, I have to show you what perfect looks like so that you'll realize you ain't it. That's the whole purpose of that law. You realize that you need a Savior because we all want to be Savior. A sinful man wants to be the Savior, but he had to prove to us over and over, you can't keep the law. John 1.17 says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise his name. Thank you, Jesus. That's where your grace came from. That's where the truth came from. Galatians 3.24 says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian. King James says it was our schoolmaster until Christ came. 
It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we have no longer a need for a guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Mm, mm, mm. Under grace, our sins have been paid. You know, my mom, Hal's mom, they had laid down the law. They often laid down the law. But did that keep me and Hal from riding with yeehaw, man? It made us really want to break the law and see if we could get away with it. Were there any laws that my mom could give that was going to stop me and Hal from being knuckleheads? No. But what could my mom have done? Or Hal's mom? Point us to Jesus. What can we do to help this world? What can we do to help our children? What can we do to change this world and bring about the kingdom of God? Is it tell them about how they need to behave? Telling a, a, a lost person about how to behave better is like putting a dress on a pig. They're going to go right back to the slop. No. We can tell people about the grace of God, the goodness of God, that Jesus paid the debt so you didn't have to. That's what will change people and keep them from riding with yeehaw, man. Not more laws. I wrote this and we'll close. Thank you for your patience today. I knew this would be a journey. Laws are for lawbreakers. Still in effect today. In an effort to try to curb sin long enough for us to realize our need for a savior. More laws are not the answer. Pointing to people to Jesus and to a higher law is the law of love. Because only Jesus can give us the love, the faith, and the Holy Spirit to overcome the sin within us. Riding with Yeehaw Man will get you grounded for eternity. Accepting Jesus' grace is the only way home. It's the only way home. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for helping us now through your love and grace and spirit to be what you created us to be, to keep the, the beautiful laws that help us to love one another, to walk in the law of love. We can overcome. And when we fail, well, that's all right. We can confess. And that you're quick to forgive. We thank you, Father, for leading us in truth, leading our life, leading us home. We thank you that we'll ever have a home with you. and We don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to pay the debt for our sin. We don't have to continue to, to dredge up the, our past because our sins have been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness and remembered no more through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You chose to forgive us. You chose to not see our sin. And we're hidden. Our life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. It's no longer I that liveth, but it is Christ that liveth in me. We are so one that his righteousness is my righteousness.
We thank you for that understanding, Lord. And we'll not use it as a license to sin, but we'll use it as a license to build your kingdom and to, to love others the way we ought and to be that person you always called us to be. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. If there's anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus as your personal Savior and the Lord of your life, all he asks is you to come to that place of realizing you can't save yourself. You're not good enough to keep the law. and never will be. And you just say, Jesus, by faith, I receive that gift of grace and apply it to my life. If you say that and you mean it with your heart, it's with the heart you believe to a right standing with God. And it's with your mouth your confession is made to salvation. Let's pray that, church. God, I believe in Jesus. He took away my sins. I trust you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. Be my Savior. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me victory in my life. I am yours completely. I surrender. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.